All right, everybody, I think it's time to get started. So if you would have a seat. Miss Terry, while you were gone, we said happy birthday, but you weren't even in the room. Not, well, you were out when we said happy birthday to you. Okay, so happy birthday. And you just see the treats she brought, so hallelujah. Thank you for letting us celebrate your birthday with you. Love that. All right, 71. Ouch. With friends like that. All right, before we get started today, a couple quick announcements. We, I just want to let you know that we have an opportunity for you to, to visit our dear friends in El Arreganal, Guatemala. You know, that's where we're sponsoring a whole bunch of kids. We have some great relationships built up there. Uh, we've been uh, a part of helping them feed the kids, uh, get the kids healthy and teach them about Jesus. And we're connecting with their families and God is doing amazing things. And remember we said the whole reason we wanted to do this partnership with Children's Hope Chest is because we get to actually have a relationship with them. We're not just throwing money at them and saying, we love you, here's a lot of money, do what you want. But we're saying, we love you, here's a lot of money, and can we love on each other? You know, and so if you want to be a part of just a really wonderful mission trip to meet some wonderful people, uh, there's still some spaces open for our, our trip, and you can see the information here on the screen about that. Uh, then our Celebration School Musical is this weekend. You maybe heard me announce that this weekend in church. Uh, but what I didn't say is that there's also a Thursday show. So it's not just the Friday night show at 6, which I talked about this weekend. You can also come Thursday at 2.15, if you would like, uh, for the daytime matinee. Is that what that's called, right? And then I'd like to have uh, our star Hagar come forward, please. I want to share some information about our amazing comfort dog ministry, and Hagar's bringing Tim and Joanne along with her. Well, thank you. Uh, greetings, friends. Uh, Joanne and I'd like to do a couple of things with you tonight. I'd like to share a little bit with you about our Comfort Dog Ministry here and about our team. But then we also have something we need to ask your help with, all right? And, uh, oh, she's turning to listen to me. The other thing we want to do tonight is we have people who participate in this from as far away as California, and they've never been able to see Hagar. And so they asked, can she be on the screen sometime for the Romans Bible study so we can actually see who it, see Hagar? So our friends in California, here's Hagar, and she would love to meet you sometime. You know, I love this Bible verse. Um, <laughs> when I think of the ministry that we have here at Faith with uh, our Comfort Dog ministry team, I'm reminded of this passage that uh, Paul wrote to his friends in Corinth. And he starts his second letter to them with these words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. And then these next two words I put in bolds and cap. Remember Pastor Dan says, whenever we see these words in the scripture, the words, so that, what comes next? Exactly. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And that's really the essence of our ministry. Uh, <clears throat> I want to make sure I button my push here. Whoops, wrong way. So I want to tell you a little bit about our team. And uh, we're in the process of working to recruit 
some ministry specialists for our team. And so I want to share with we want to share with you a little bit about that role on our team. And if you have some interest or you know of some people who God has given gifts that could help us in this way, it would be great. Uh, it'd be great to talk to you about the possibilities there. Our ministry uh, team currently has nine people who are handlers. Joanne and I are two of them that take, take Hagar out into the community or to places here at, at the church to meet and greet people, but also to bring that sense of comfort and peace, uh, 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 mercy, compassion, peace, and proclamation, proclamation of Jesus Christ to people who really are going through some tough times a lot of times. Joanna and I just came from Harbor House, a domestic and sexual abuse center here in town. And uh, the people there just love her. And for an hour, once a month, the kids and the moms there just are, you see smiles and joy in their, their, their faces because they get to spend a little time uh, with Hagar and with us, listening to them tell us their stories. So our team currently has nine handlers. Um, we have three specialists, ministry specialists in our team. Jane is one of our specialists, um, who's here today too. And then we have uh, two staff members, Amy Cox and Pastor Adam, who serve on our team. Um, we also have, uh, among our handlers, we have four people who are caregivers for, for uh, Hagar. She stays with Ken Letterer and uh, Lynn Colby. They're her primary caregivers. So their lives are very full and busy in this ministry. And then Jim and Donna Bubb back them up. They're kind of secondary um, caregivers. And so all the other people on our team too, our handlers and ministry specialists have other roles to make this ministry work. Um, I wanna give you a couple more numbers, all right? Just remember these numbers, 30, 70, 70. Hagar makes about 30 visits a month on an average to uh, bring this ministry of mercy, compassion, presence, and proclamation of Jesus. So that keeps us really busy. Um, so the 30% uh, 30, 30 of those 30 visits are done here at, at, at Faith, either at worship service, going to Celebration Lutheran School, or going to our Faith Child Care, or uh, going to different kinds of events, celebration, children's child care as well, or going to different events. But 70% of those visits are out in the community somewhere uh, where we as a congregation are able to get into places that we wouldn't normally be able to do if we didn't have this ministry going on. So it's a great outreach ministry here. And um, we're in the process now of trying to uh, to find a few more people who are willing to help us with this. So Joanne's going to share with you a little bit about, oh, by the way, um, our team leader, uh, Carrie Foster, is also a handler. So you can just imagine, again, we've got handlers and specialists who also have a lot of different roles, and there's a lot of administrative tasks that go with that, too. So we're looking for some, some help, and Joanne's going to tell you a little bit about that. Now you're seeing us transfer handling here. <laughs> And if you notice, we stand behind Hagar, otherwise she slips. She slips on the floor. So, but we have two types of specialists. And one specialist is the visiting specialist. They're the ones that come with us when we visit. And the something that you might want to know and you don't know, specialists never handle the dog. They're there to support the 
people that we talk to. And they're there to um, watch for safety for both the handler and Hagar. Like if they see food, they'll pick it up. So that's one. That's what the specialists usually do. And they listen, and they learn, and they love. So normally when we go on a visit, by the time the handler and the specialist leave, they don't know anything about us, but we know a lot about them. So we just listen. And we gladly will train people to learn how to just listen and be quiet. And go, uh-huh. And, you know, tell me more. You know. But um, that's the visiting specialist. And then we have support specialists. And this can be done in so many different ways. Um, we always, we're going to have a, a, a brat, a brat, what, fry. fundraiser, fry. brat fry at a festival in Menasha. We always can use people to help us do that. Um, we also, you know, any communications, writing thank you notes to people that donate or say things to, to Hagar. Uh, we can always use help with that. Planning special events like Hagar's birthday at church or her gotcha day than when we got her. Um, we can always use help with that. And then there's people that do woodworking and would like to carve little crosses or something that we can give to people as we, we meet them and talk to them. Or if you tat or you crochet or you can make prayer, prayer crosses or prayer squares. I mean, if you have any talent you think we can use, let us know and help us out. Uh, we'd appreciate that. Um, and... Our main thing is, you know, use the God, your God-given gifts, and to help us be engaged with people and help our congregation stay involved with Hagar. And if you are interested, please don't hesitate to call Tim or I. It's his phone now. Um, but and we'll we'll gladly talk with you, and we do we do the training too. We'll we'll help you, and there's what what do we call walk-alongs or come with us, try it out, you know, see if this is what you'd like to do, um, see if it's your niche or not, you know. But again, we would love to have more helpers, more specialists. Thank you for listening, and thank you, people in online land. <laughs> Just in terms of a transition, we don't get to do this very often, but I mean, I love this Bible study, don't you? Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't be possible without Pastor Dan Mm -hmm. and him using the great teaching gifts he has. So we don't give him applause very often. Let's give him a standing ovation. Let's stand up and just thank God for his gifts. Thank you, thank you. All right, my friends. It's uh, I remember when we were talking about getting, going, really? A dog? I love dogs, but how is that going to help ministry? And it's really kind of expensive. <laughs> but, man, am I blown away what God has done with that ministry and doors that he's opened. So thank you, Tim and Joanne, for sharing and being a part of that awesome ministry. All right, my friends, so today we're going to talk about Romans chapter 14, or 13, right? We are sliding right on through, aren't we? And we're chatting today about how to use the rest of our lives to make a difference. Uh, if you um, thought the Bible was just about theology, if you thought the Bible was just about spiritual things, if you just thought it was about how to 
grow in your knowledge of Jesus, well, you're sadly mistaken. The Bible is also for life. The things that we face and the things that we do and, and how we conduct ourselves in this world in which we live, there's just such great advice and instructions in the book. And boy, we're going to get into some of those good ones today. So what do we need to do first? Let's make sure we're all prayed up and ready. So let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this night, for the opportunity we have to be together and just to share a little bit about some of the amazing things that you are doing here in our church through our ministry, through our Celebration Lutheran School, through our work with our brothers and sisters all the way on the other side of the world in Guatemala. Uh, just thankful, Lord, for how you're at work here. And, and we know that you're not just at work in the church, but you are at work in each one of our individual lives. That each one of us, God, you've called to be a difference maker in the kingdom. You've called to be light bringers into the darkness. You've called to help us love on your children the way you love them too. So bless us tonight as the Bible challenges us to take a look at how we spend the time that we've been given here in this world so that we can truly give you glory and honor in all things. So bless us as we study again and enjoy uh, the amazing book of Romans. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, is this a million-dollar question? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? Some of you, I know, uh, would say, gosh, I don't even know how many days I have left yet. You know, I don't think about the rest of my life. I'm at the last stage of my life. And uh, I remember once I asked a, a gentleman in church if they wanted to be on one of our boards. And he said, well, all right, how, how long is a commitment? And I said, well, it's a three-year commitment. And he said, three years. He's like, at my age, I don't even buy green bananas. There's no way I'm committing to three years, you know. So I don't know. You know, you might think that the rest of my life or, or maybe you're right in the middle of life right now. And things are just so busy that you're having a hard time just keeping on, keeping on, keeping up with stuff. And you're thinking, the rest of my life, I can't even think about tomorrow. You know, how am I going to get through today, you know. But here's what I'm going to hope that, that God just impresses on you today, that you have an opportunity every single day when you wake up and take your first breath and, uh, and you say to yourself, okay, God, what are we going to do today? Okay, Lord, what's going to happen today? What are you and I going to accomplish in the kingdom today? Every day is an opportunity to somehow, some way, give God the glory, honor, and praise and to be used by him to make a difference in this world. And again, this is not my great thought. Yeah, John had this great thought this morning that when he came in, he said, I can't believe this passage of scripture. I've been going to motivational speakers and they've been talking about this sort of stuff. I didn't know they ripped off St. Paul. <laughs> but you see, this idea is not new to me. It's not something I'm telling you. It's not new to motivational speakers. It's not new to all the self-help books that you can get at Barnes and Noble. This is a God thing. It's a God idea that he created each day for you so that you can live in his purpose. Do you understand that? Right? So do you ever think about what am I going to do with this day? What am I going to do with this life? Well, that's what this whole section of uh, Romans is all about today in verse, chapters 13, verses 8 through 14. So as I said, if you think it's about theology, think again. There's lots of practical, everyday advice. Somebody said, 
Somebody did some calculations. If you live to be 70 years old, right? In those 70 years, you'll spend 23 years of that sleeping. You'll spend 17 years working, 11 years playing, six years traveling in your car, two years getting dressed. My wife spends about four years getting dressed. One year in church. <laughs> I hope not. She usually tunes in when I say something stupid like that. So I don't know. She's got this sense. So sorry, honey. Uh, one year in church. Right? So again, just think about it. At the end of time, whenever that day comes, when God calls you home and you look back on your life, what's your little thing going to look like? How did you spend the gift that God gave you of life? How did you use the gift that God gave you of the gifts and opportunities that, that he placed in your midst? How did you use all of that? It's not too late. If some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, I hope God doesn't ask me. You know, uh, it's not too late. You still have time. Yes? I still, I'm retired, but I still spend my time thinking about numbers. And that only adds up to 60 years. Well, there's a lot of miscellaneous. There you are. That's, that's for worrying about the Packers draft on Thursday night. That's for being bummed out about the Bucks game. And I don't know. Mur yes. All right, so the question is, how do you want to make the rest of your life be the best of your life? That's what tonight's going to be about. And, and this is how God's going to help you look at what you have, the days that you have left to make them important. So what we're going to see, and I tried to be kind of clever and fun with this. I don't know if it worked or not. But six actions from Romans that we can see about how we can use the time. Oops, what happened to them? There they are. Six things. And again, we're going to work through these one at a time. So if you're panicking right now because I'm going to erase these really quick, uh, it's okay. We're going to get at them again. So six things that I think we see here in Romans. First, he's, he's going to encourage us, uh, encourage us to pay up, which is not be overextended in our debt. He's going to talk to us about money, how we use our money, and the gift that God's given us of money. He's going to encourage us to build up to build up people, to, to encourage people, to be love bringers into this love-starved world. He's going to ask us to wake up and make the most of every opportunity, to look around and not slumber through life, sleep through life, sleepwalk through life, but to wake up and see the opportunities given us to make a difference. He's going to tell us to gear up, to prepare for battle, because in this world, we are in a spiritual warfare. We are in a spiritual battle. And so we need to make sure that we're geared up and ready for that. He's going to ask us to clean up the time you have left. Clean up your life and lead a pure lifestyle. And finally, these beautiful words, he's going to ask us to get dressed up, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about what it means to be clothed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't this sound like it's going to be fun? All right. Let's look. First of all, pay up. He said in 13 verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding. All right. So what do we get from this? That debt is not to be something that consumes us. Did you know in the U.S. the consumer debt right now is at $14.9 trillion? Debt is absolutely strangling many in America. And the debt comes from auto loans, mortgages, credit cards, student loans. 
things like that, right? Debt is 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 paralyzing many in America. So I love that the Bible talks about this. Now, I want to be crystal clear about this idea. Is it wrong to have debt? Is that what the Bible tells us and teaches us? I don't think so. Uh, but overextending ourselves, I think, is wrong. And the reason I put I think is because there are many good Christian people who teach that's not true, that debt is bad, that you should have no debt, right? And they'll even point to some Bible verses, I think, kind of wrongly, to teach that it's sinful to owe, that you should only pay cash. And one of the verses they use is this, Romans 13 eight, let no debt remain outstanding. But really, if you look, the literal Greek of this sentence literally says, stop continuing to owe, right? Let no debt remain. Literally means stop continuing to owe. So if you look at that, what it's saying is, don't borrow and then not be able to pay back. Don't borrow and get so choked up with interest and such that you can't pay back. You get caught in this terrible cycle, right? So that's really what the Bible is teaching, that it's not wrong to, to, to borrow, but it is wrong to overextend yourself and then not be able to pay back what you owe. Make sense, everybody? Right? So I want us just to take a look at some verses about this because I want to be clear about what we think and what I think the Bible teaches here. So start with Matthew 5, verse 42. <clears throat> so Jesus teaching here Matthew 5:42 Here's what Jesus said these are his words and you know how we know they're his words they're in red Every time Jesus spoke red words came tumbling out of his mouth Verse 42 it says give Jesus said give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So here's my Dan mind. If Jesus says you should loan to somebody, don't turn away from someone who wants to borrow from you. If he says it's okay to loan, then how can it be wrong to have debt? See what I'm saying? <laughs> the, the issue is not the debt. It's the overextending that's the problem. Or if you wanted to look in Exodus... There's a verse there that says that we should not over, um, what's the word? Um, you can tell I'm not a financial person. When you charge way more interest than you should. Usury. That's right. Yeah, we need to not overcharge interest or take advantage of people when they borrow. But it doesn't say don't lend. It doesn't say don't borrow. It just says doesn't, don't take advantage of people. So I, I love the, the concept that, we're going to talk about how to use the rest of your days wisely. And where does St. Paul start? Right in your pocketbook. Right in your wallet with our money. Because it is just crucial, a, a part of being a believer in this world is that God has blessed us with money to be used appropriately. So money can be used well for the kingdom of God or it can be used poorly for the kingdom of God. Right? Do you see? So... Um, overextended debt, the consuming debt, I think the problem with that is it chokes our generosity. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes people are so busy paying off their mortgage and their car and their credit cards 
that they don't have enough left over to help the church or help a charity or to make a difference in the world. They can't tithe because their money is so tied up in their debts. Do you see? So that's the danger here of, of uh, outstanding debt or overextending ourselves when it comes to debt. So you want to make your life count. Make sure you're using your money wisely. Make sure you're using the gifts that God has given you wisely. And one of the things he tells us is don't be overextended in our debt. Thoughts or questions, anybody? Making sense? All right, let's look at the second. Build up. The next thing he says to do, verse 8b and 10, says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You want to make your life count. You want to make your life matter. St. Paul says, love one another. Love everybody. Don't miss that. Love everybody. See, this is the important thing. <laughs> it's easy to love people who are like you, isn't it? But again, the Greek language is so much more expressive than our English. In the Greek, the word for another, there's two words that are used for another. One of the words means another of the same kind. Like, here's a brownie and here's another brownie, right, for a birthday celebration. Two brownies, two another's, but they're of the same thing. But there's another another, <laughs> which is another of a different kind, right? Here's a dog and there's another cat and there's another deer or whatever. You see, another of a different kind. And which another do you think is used here except uh, with the, that we are to love one another? It's the second one, another of a different kind. So St. Paul is saying that if you want to make a difference in this world, we are called, we are obligated to love people of different temperaments, different backgrounds, different colors, different beliefs, different faiths different values, different morals, different sexual orientations, dare I say, right? Everyone. We are to love everybody, all right? This is the calling as Christians. And why is that so important? Because I think unconditional love is the radical force of the church. It's love that is going to change the world. It's love that's going to change a person's heart. It's love that's going to be the mark of what it means to be a believer. Love. It's that silly song. They'll know we are Christians by our love. And it's, it's silly, but it is so true. That's the mark of what it means to be a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. So we are called, St. Paul said, to love everybody. Now let's talk about what that means, shall we? What does that mean? to love. Does that mean we say to folks, I love you and God loves you and you can just do whatever you want to do and God will love you. You can be whatever you want to be and God will love you. You can steal if you want and God will still love you. It's okay. Is that really love? 
Right? What does it mean to really love? To really love someone means we accept them no matter what, but we also speak the truth to them, don't we? And so we're always playing this game when we love someone of knowing where the balance is. The balance of loving and accepting and the balance of speaking the truth in love. That, that's our journey in the world today. Would you agree? Right? This, this is where we are. I, I struggle with this all the time. All right. Am I supposed to speak right now or do I just need to listen right now? Am I supposed to stand up and say that's not right right now? Or am I supposed to say, well, you know what? Um, we, you can still come to our church. We'd be glad to have you visit us today. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's, it's tough to walk that line. But the point is, we are called to love no matter what, and we need to walk that line, all right? Um, so don't miss this. I love how he, sa he said, do not let any debt remaining except the continuing debt to love one another. There's that another word. So Paul says we do have one debt and we'll never finish paying it off, right? There is one debt. And what's the one debt that we should have? to love one another, right? To love one another. Uh, and so we need to continually think of ways that we can do that. Uh, here's what you hear in the world a lot. I have to do what's best for me, right? And you may think that a lot yourself, right? Love, especially biblical love, is just the opposite, opposite of that. Biblical loves what is the best for him. What's the best for her? This is, the, this is the idea when I try and understand what does it mean to love one another, right? To me, this is the crux of the matter. The crux of the matter is not asking, I have to do what's best for me, but what is best for the person right now? What does the person need to hear from God right now? Right, that's the question. How does God want me to love that person right now? And so I have to always ask myself that, not how do I feel about it, how does this help me? But what can I do to help this other person? That's what it means to biblically love. And who do we love? Everybody. Even the people that are hard to love. Yes? So if you want to make your life matter, I don't think there's anything you can do that's more important than this one. To love each other. To be a love bringer in the world. There's enough haters, right? There's enough angry people and crabby people and grouchy people and complaining people and uh, separate, you know, um, put you down kind of people. We need more lovers, don't we? We need a whole lot more lovers. All right, thoughts, questions about this one. Build up everybody. Coming your way. Okay, so what does that look like when you are face-to-face -face with someone who is going to do you harm. What does that look like to right. love them? So that's perfect question. This is where I'm at. In that moment, I need to ask myself, what does God want for that person? Not what do I want, what's best for me, but what does God want that person to hear or see in me right now? So that's the question that I was trying to get at with this thing, you know. What does that person need to hear? Not what I think, what I feel, what I want. What does that person need to hear? Now, couched in your question, there is also, 
God doesn't want us to put ourselves in a place or a situation where we're in danger of harming ourselves or, you know, emotional abuse or physical abuse or whatever. You know, he, he needs us to be wise, too, about protecting ourselves. But most of the time, that's not the case, right? Most of the time, the people in our lives we're called to love, are, we're not there. And that's what we need to ask that question. Does that help at all? Over here, please, Dennis, Deacon Dennis. I'm trying to write the right words. That's easy for us to say here. What? About being about loving somebody that's coming at you. Mm -hmm. The people in Chicago who are driving down the road. And uh, all of a sudden, somebody comes up to them and uh, points a gun in their face. Um, yeah, that is a different. Yeah, it is. How to react that way is uh, you can show love all you want, but uh, some people are are, right. are not. That's a good point, Dennis. Thank you. And what I, what I hope you heard me say is there are times when we don't need to put ourselves in a dangerous or harmful place. We're not called to stand up in front of that gunman <laughs> and love him, you know. But that is such a small, small percentage of the times. Yeah, you know, we have every day you're going to have an opportunity to be loving to someone. Every day. The chances of you meeting someone dangerous like that are small compared to every day. That's what St. Paul's talking about here. Not those odd situations or dangerous situations or... Okay. Well, we're not talking about big cities. We're talking here to us today. This is you and me. This is where you're called in your life, right? This is how you can use your life to the best of your ability. They have a different culture situation there than we do, which is going to require a different kind of loving. So your love is this. This is just how are you going to do it? How are you going to love one another? Just think about it. If you get to the end of life, you know, what is it that God's going to really say that he's thankful for that you did? That you had the nicest lawn in the yard in the, in the, in the neighborhood? You know, uh, what he's going to care about is, did you love someone? You know, did you care for my children? Did you share my love with them? You know, that's what matters. And that's what's going to truly make a difference for you and for others in, our, in your world. So build people up. Oh, going over there. Sorry, Sue. Well, Sue, that's Sue. what struck me in that in that those verses is that it's we are to build each other up, or only what is helpful to that person, uh, each according to their needs. Yes. And sometimes we can really miss those needs. I think every day. For sure. Every hour. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's nice. He's making us conscious of the opportunities we have so we don't walk right past them. Yep. When we have children or people that we know that that happen to be lesbians or whatever, you can say, I love you. I don't agree with you, but I love you. What else do we say as Christians? That might be enough. 
But I mean, you need to know there's no right or wrong answer to that. Every person is different. Every situation is different. You just got to pray about that. If That might be enough. To say more might alienate and turn them so they run away and you don't have any more opportunity to share. I don't know. Every situation is so different. You have to just play each day and each conversation with God and just say, all right, God, what does this person need now? So there's not a right or wrong. That might be enough one day, but not enough another day. God may open a window to give more another time. It's just different. A lot of different ways to love. Eugene yeah. and I had lunch today at the Taco Bell. And when I leave a restaurant like that, I always look back into the kitchen and I go, thanks for making my lunch. <laughs> and those people smile so big because. Unbelievable. How hard is that? Now, for some shy people, it might be more difficult. That is amazing. You know, isn't it? And just think how well, one word like that can make someone's day. One word like that, one bit of encouragement, one smile can make someone's day. And that's that's what St. Paul is saying. You can always love the person, but you can tell them that you don't love what they do. Sure. And you, and you might not even need to say that. Sometimes to love means just don't say anything. Just love them. You don't need to say, I love you, but... <laughs> There might be a time for that, but maybe not. It's okay just to say I love you and, and not talk about their sin. Like, let's make a deal. I won't talk about your sin if you don't talk about my sin. Yeah, for sure. All right. I think we got it. It's important. This is really going to make a difference in your life. You want to make a difference in the world? Then build people up. Don't tear them down. All right. Ooh, 1 Corinthians 13. I do want to do, I did want to close with this. This is great first third third first Corinthians 13 chapter. I know you've heard it like a cabillion times, mostly at weddings. Here's what St. Paul says: I will now show you the most excellent way of all the things. What's the most excellent way? In other words, what's the best way to live your life? What's the most excellent way? He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my very body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Could he be any clearer about how we are to invest our lives and what matters most and what's the most excellent way to live? Love. Because you have everything else and you don't have love, you have nothing. All right, you get this? So this is just crucial. And I, I pray every day that our church will be a love church, that faith church will be a loving place where people come and feel loved, love of God and love of each other. You know, that's what it's about. That's what it should be, a grace place. All right, number three, wake up, slumberheads, sleepyheads. 
Make the most of every opportunity. Here's how he said it. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. Now, obviously, he's not talking about physical sleep here, is he? He's talking about spiritual laziness. Uh, we all have different ways of wakefulness, watchfulness in our lives. It, it's, it's, it starts from like how we are physically and it moves into how we are spiritually. You know, um, I have two daughters that couldn't be more different in the morning. It is just crazy. And it started when they were little. You know, my oldest just pops up and is ready for life. And she talks, She, <laughs> the moment she wakes up, she's talking. You know what I'm saying? The moment she's awake, she's um, she's verbalizing her life, her feelings, her thoughts, what's going to scare her today, what she's looking forward to today. What do you think about this? And did you hear what's going to happen today? Like that was her when she was little. My youngest, I had to like massage into life every morning. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> It was a journey just to get her awake. And then once I got her awake, she really wasn't conscious. But it's funny is now that they're older, uh, and like when we'll go on vacations or something together and they'll be getting ready in the morning. Like this is, I'm going to tell you this true story. It is this the best. So they're getting ready in the bathroom. Both of them, they're sharing the same bathroom. And I can hear my oldest, la, 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 la. And, and all of a sudden, my youngest comes in my room, and she's talking to me, and I can hear my oldest, like, la, 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 la. She goes, don't worry, Dad. I'll go back in. She won't even know I was gone. <laughs> it's just so classic in the morning. Oh, my gosh. But people, some people are like that spiritually, too. Do you know, some people are just attuned spiritually. They're uh, awake to the opportunities uh, that God is presented with them, and other people just kind of sleepwalk through it. So St. Paul says, you want to make the most of your life? Then wake up. Many churches start at 8 o'clock sharp and end at 9 o'clock dull. <laughs> Do you know what I mean by that? There's just no life. There's no joy. There's no enthusiasm. There's no purpose. Uh, I bet you've worshipped at places like that, where you just walk in and it's like, wow, is it Easter or is it a funeral? You know, it's just like, wow, what happened here? That I, I don't think that's what God has called the church to be, right? Not dull, but sharp, unaware of the opportunities and the things that are happening. I, I will never, ever be sad if the church is so busy that I can't find a place to park. Or the church is so busy that I can't find a room to meet in. Or the church is so busy that it's a mess because all the garbage cans are full and all the chairs are all over the place and the carpet is worn and there's not even any little whatchamacallit things on the, uh, you've seen that in the hallway, right? Uh, what are those little baseboards? Thank you. There's no baseboards because they've been kicked off and the, oh, see, that's good. That's a good thing. That's like a Bible that's well used. Don't you love a Bible that's all beat up and marked up and lined up? I don't like the Bible when you open it and like, poof, here comes this dust. <laughs> right? We need to wake up and see the opportunities. Wake up and see that God is not dead, but he is alive and he is at work 
in your life, in your in your little circle of friends, in our community, and in our world. So th- I love this. St. Paul says, wake up from your slumber. These are his words. Wake up. All right, check out Ephesians 5.11. He's, he's even more clear. This was a theme for St. Paul, this idea of waking up and see what God is up to. Ephesians 5, verse 11. I'm going to start at 8. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. And this is why it is said, and here's this great verse, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Isn't that beautiful? Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Why is it so important to wake up? Three reasons I want to give you why I think it's so important. Number one, because our world is rapidly changing. Some of you have been around for a few years. Can you imagine the acceleration of change that's happened in these last 10, 20 years? I mean, things have always been changing, but the pace of change has just rapidly increased these last years, hasn't it? And, and I think many of the Christians are sleeping through the revolution. What I mean by that is we just can't continue to do things the way we always did them. Right? And expect that we're still going to connect with people that don't think that way anymore. You know? I'm on a big kick lately about using um, our devices, using our uh, computer technology, using our live stream, um, using our social media to connect people to the gospel. Because if you ever would go to a high school today, what does every high schooler have? A Bible? Well, on their cell phone, maybe, right? And, you know, just watch where they spend their time. You know, they're in that phone. So there's a change that's happened. And instead of going up to them and saying, you shouldn't be on your phone, how about finding a way to use that phone to help them know the Lord Jesus, to grow closer to him, invite them to our church? That's just one way that I'm thinking why it's important to wake up. We have to wake up and see the new opportunities the new ways of doing things. Does the gospel ever change? Nope. But do the ways we present the gospel change? Yes, they should, right? We can't be ashamed or afraid of that. So second, why it's important to wake up, time is short. It's closer today than ever to the second coming of Jesus. Is that true? It is. Every day we're one day closer. And how many, how much time do you have left before Jesus returns? I don't know. How much time do you have left before he returns to call you to go to heaven with him? I don't know. You don't know. Right? If you were with me on Sunday at the faith site, what what's the, the, the statistic I shared? Ten out of ten people will, will die. <laughs> yeah, it's going to happen. So we have to use that time well. We have to wake up and see that we can't just say, well, I'll get to it tomorrow. 
I'll talk to that person tomorrow. I'll love that person tomorrow. I'll get in that Bible study tomorrow. I'll whatever tomorrow. Because what? You might not have a tomorrow, will you? So make the most of today. And last reason it's important to wake up is because procrastination is one of the biggest enemies of the Christian life. Putting it off, getting to it later, uh, one of the greatest dangers to our faith. In fact, one of the churches in Revelation got in trouble with God for being lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. God said, I wish I, I'd rather spit you out than for, I wish you were hot or cold, <laughs> right? So procrastination is dangerous. So we need to uh, make the most of every opportunity we have. Now, I'm not just talking, remember, this is couched in how do you make every day of your life count? So I'm not talking about faith church right now. I'm talking about you. What's the opportunity that God has given you? Right? That's, I'm hoping you know what that is when I just said that. What's your thing? What's your opportunity that God wants you to do to make life matter tomorrow? If you know what that is, don't procrastinate. Don't believe that you have a lot of time to get at it. Be ready to do whatever it takes so that God can work through that to accomplish something amazing. You get it all? That's how you make your life count with the days that you have left. Words from St. Paul. Wake up! All right, next. Gear up. Be prepared for battle. Here's what he said. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So St. Paul says we need to gear up. And what does he mean when he says gear up? He means get prepared for battle. I think one of the great tragedies is that most Christians don't even know that we're in a war. We are, aren't we? We are literally in a war for our souls, for the souls of our children and our grandchildren, for the soul of our country. We are in a war right now, right? We are, because here's the scoop. The moment you believe in Jesus, you become an enemy of the devil. And you may not know that he's your enemy, but he knows that you're his enemy. And he knows that his time is short. He understands this idea of shortness of time, right? And so he is working to do everything he can to pull you away from your faith. What would you say are some of the tricks the devil uses today, right, in the war that you are engaged with your personal make every day count? What was that? Okay, health. So what's he doing with health to... So he'll use a health issue to sidetrack you from your purpose or your mission. Temptation. Loves to tempt us, doesn't he? Tempt us away from where we should be, where we should go, what we should do. That forbidden fruit, it worked for Adam and Eve, and it still works for us today. Dividing each other to one, against one another. To get the church to be bickering and fighting amongst itself. What kind of example does that give to a world that's watching? Mm. How about this? I think one of the tricks the devil uses today is he loves to get you doing a lot of good things. Does that sound like a contradiction? I think the devil 
will try and get you so busy doing good that you don't have time to take care of your soul, to take care of your spirit, to take care of, you know, you're just so busy taking the kids to soccer, you're busy getting a clean house, you're so busy running around and getting things taken care of that there's no time left to do God things. He gets you so busy doing good that there's no time left for God. Does that make sense? I think that's one of his great tricks today in this busy world. You know, um, uh, my favorite theologian, Harry Wendt, said Satan doesn't walk around with a placard, you know, a sign on his shoulders that says, hello, I'm Satan. Let's go out and do really terrible things today. That's not the way he rolls. Instead, if he can get you so busy doing even good things, but you lose your soul, he's one. Right? He's one. Um, so we're in a battle. We need to gear up. So what does it mean to gear up? A spiritual battle for our own growth, the lives and souls of everybody. How do you gear up? Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 6. Starting with verse 10. Beautiful St. Paul said, Finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. So everything that follows comes from this verse. Be strong in your own power. Be strong in your own wisdom. Be strong in your own might. Be strong in His mighty power. And how do you do that? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, aha, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Isn't that just a beautiful section of Scripture? Right? So if you wonder what you need to do to gear up, here's the gear. Here's the gear that St. Paul gives us that we put on that comes from God's mighty power that enables us to stand strong against the devil's schemes and to um, be useful in the world. Gear up for battle. If you ever want to read an excellent book, my top five Christian fiction books, right? One of them is called This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. Frank Peretti. Uh, I know we have a copy in our adult library if you want to go peek at it, right, Kathleen? Right? I'm pretty sure I've, I've, I've uh, sent that out. It's a fiction book about a person who has got stuff going on in his life, in his relationships that he can see, 
but Peretti lifts the veil and you see the spiritual battle that's going on behind the scenes. The demons and the angels that are fighting for our attention and for our time. And it's just really an excellent summer read if you want a good one. This present darkness. The second book is this, is Piercing the Darkness. And then the third book is called The Prophet. And that's the only book in my life that as I was reading, I burst into tears. I, I, remember, I remember crying so hard as I was reading that this moment in this book was just so powerful. Oh, man. I'm just tearing up now thinking about it again. But you can't read The Prophet until you've read the first two, so don't go skipping ahead. <laughs> Frank Peretti, P-E-R-E-T-T-I, something like that. He's a prolific Christian fiction writer, by the way. Yes. Um, this present darkness, piercing the darkness, and then prophet. So anyway, it's just a good way to get you to think about the spiritual battle that's raging. Like, you know what? I'll just give you a little, like, right now, if this was the book, as we're here in Bible study, learning and growing in the Word of God, offering our prayers. In the book, there's a legion of angels that have put a shelter around the church. And they're guarding this place. They're guarding your mind so that the evil one can't get here right now in this room. And so that he can't distract you. So that he can't say, man, that guy's tie does not match his shirt. You know, and, and then you're thinking about, gosh, if you would only get a decent shirt, I could really pay attention or whatever, you know, just to distract us that that there's a spiritual angels that are protecting this place to protect your mind so that we can grow in the word. And see, it's that kind of idea that if you read this book, you'll go, ooh, this is cool stuff. So if you're, that would be a good summary. Uh, another one, if you haven't read A Skeleton in God's Closet. That's another one that's just a great Christian summer fiction read. Like, what would happen if in an archaeological dig in Jerusalem, they dug up the bones of Jesus? You know that can't happen, right? Because he's alive. But what would happen if they did? What would that do to the world? What would that, I mean, it, oh my gosh. That's another good read, a good summer Christian read. A skeleton in God's closet. Is that in our library? More than a skeleton. Yeah, that's, I didn't like that one as much, but still good. <laughs> yes, he is, for sure. All right, so gear up, everybody. Uh, get on the armor of God to prepare for the battle. And so how do you put that armor on? You're doing it right now, everybody. What you're doing right now is putting some armor on. You're all looking like strong knights around the round table of the Word of God. All right, next, clean up. Maintain a pure lifestyle. Here's how St. Paul said, Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. So if you want to make the most of the days that you have left, clean up your act. And what Paul does here is genius. He gives us six examples and they come in three pairs, right? So let's look at these. First, he says, live a life of self-control. 
And then the two examples he gives us of this are no orgies and no getting drunk. Now, again, the, the Greek word orgy is different than our usual understanding of orgy. Our orgies for us are sexual things. But an orgy in the Greek here is any kind of excessive partying, right? Like today we would translate orgy as party, a great crazy partying. And so the point is, you know, live your life for the moment, live your life for the entertainment, live your life for the party. That's zero self-control. Right? And no getting drunk. Right? That's again, you've just lost self-control. So clean up your life. No orgies, no getting drunk. Second, live a life of moral purity, which means stay away from sexual immorality and debauchery. I think we all know what sexual immorality is. Right? Anything that violates the pure standard of God that has given us about, um, about sex for a man and a woman in a committed marriage relationship. That's the only appropriate place for that. Anything out of that, out of bounds of that, is sexual immorality. But do you know what debauchery is? How would you define debauchery? Here's my definition. Debauchery is bragging about immorality. Debauchery is when you just do these things and then you tell the stories about it. And you celebrate it. And it, you know... You've heard me say this before. I'm afraid America has lost its ability to blush. Have you heard me say that? We're not embarrassed by sin anymore. Now, debauchery. Now, we, we love to tell about sin. We love to write books about sin. We like to arrange a parade where we march through town and and proclaim our sin to the world and call it a choice or a, or a right or a value. We're proud of sin and immorality anymore. That's debauchery. That's debauchery, everybody. So St. Paul says, right, live a life of, you want to make your life count? <laughs> live a life of moral purity. And then third, he says, live a life of harmony and love. And the pair he gives us here is avoid dissension and jealousy. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first looked at that, I go, no. Remember that Sesame Street, two of these things belong together and one of these things is not the same? Remember that great little song? Uh, you didn't watch Sesame Street growing up? No? One of these things is not like the other. I don't know. Uh, well, this one doesn't seem to fit with the two above, does it? We got orgies and getting drunk and sexual immorality and debauchery. Yeah, we're going like, yeah, that's bad stuff. Dissension and jealousy? That's not really that bad, is it? That's not that awful. Why does that get lumped in with those other things? Well, guess what? For St. Paul, it is that awful. It is that bad. It is that damaging to the body of Christ. It is that damaging to yourself. It will choke your ability to make everyday matter that you have. Dissension and jealousy, divisiveness, division in the body of Christ. How much in the Bible have we seen about the importance of avoiding that? That the body should be one, work together in harmony and peace with each other. Right? So dissension and jealousy is every bit as dangerous as sexual immorality, debauchery, drunkenness, and orgies. You get it all? Right? So you want to make your life count clean up. Maintain a pure lifestyle. Next, he says, dress up. This might be my favorite one. I just like this idea. He said, rather, and what does the rather mean? In spite of that, 
right? Instead of doing those things, he says, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Clothe yourself with Jesus. <laughs> Imagine getting dressed with Jesus in the morning. What will your conversation be? Lord, what do you think we should do today? How does a good drunken orgy sound? <laughs> right? Can you imagine those words coming out of your mouth? You know, it just wouldn't. When, when you just think about in the morning when you get dressed, every day when you put on your clothes, just think of getting dressed with Jesus. Just think Jesus is getting dressed with you. Start your day with Jesus that way. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus. Learn to think like Jesus. That's what it means to put on Christ. It means we start to think like Jesus thinks. We want to do what Jesus would want to do. We want to speak the way Jesus would want to speak. We want to arrange our day in a way that Jesus would arrange his day. Right? So that's what it means to think like Jesus. I, I really want to drill into this. Remember Romans 12, 2, we looked at this a while back. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And how does that transformation come? Do you remember we did this exact thing? It's through the renewing of your mind. So how is it that you're going to change? You know, what did he say? The way you think, this is a Dan theory or these two things. The way you think determines the way you feel. And the way you feel determines the way you act. And so if you want to change the way you act, what do you need to do? Yes, you need to change the way you think. But often, that's not the way we roll. Often we think if I'm going to change my behavior, I need to change my feelings. That doesn't work. It doesn't work that way, right? Because feelings don't spring up out of nowhere. Feelings come from how we think. So if we want to change our behavior, we change how we think, which changes how we feel, which changes how we act. And that's what St. Paul is saying. Clothe yourselves, and then look what he says. Do not think. He didn't say do not feel. Do you see the difference? He understands the way the mind works. He created our minds. So he says if you want to change your behavior, then you've got to change the way you think, not the way you feel. Again, maybe you've heard me say this before, and, and a lot of people really disagree with me on this, but I just really believe that we are not a victim to our feelings. Have you heard me say that before? Right? I, I, I always get a little uncomfortable when people say to me, I can't help that I feel that way. I want to say to them, yes, you can. You can help the way you feel. You can change the way you feel. You're not a victim. You're not a prisoner. You know, you're not a slave to your feelings. You're not. Because the way you think controls the way you feel. All right, you follow me, everybody? And I think I'm not making too much of this. This is the verse. St. Paul says, do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So what's the message in all this? You want to make a difference? Uh, how you use your life to make a difference in the kingdom? Where does it start? By changing your behavior? No. By changing your feelings? No. 
by changing the way you think. And how are we going to think? We're going to think like Jesus because we're getting dressed with Jesus. We're putting on Jesus. We're wearing Jesus' clothes. We're, we're, we're wearing Jesus. And if we're wearing Jesus, then we're thinking like Jesus. We're acting like Jesus. We're speaking like Jesus. And if we think, act, and speak like Jesus, we're going to feel like Jesus. And if we think, act, and speak like Jesus and feel like Jesus, guess what we're going to do? We're going to act like Jesus. This is the, the plan that God lays out for us. If you were with me on Saturday for our secret of contentment, that's what we talked about. Right? It starts with an understanding of who we are, who we've been created to be, and everything flows from that. All right? So, I want to just talk a little bit then to sort of summarize where we are with all of this with the great St. Augustine. One of the great church leaders, one of the great authors, one of the great theologians of our church. I don't know if you know anything about his story, but, man, he wrote this book called The Confessions of St. Augustine. He wrote some words where he laid out his early life, uh, the life he led before he was a believer. In his early life, he did all, he told all, he said all. Every kind of desire he could imagine or think or every whim he fulfilled, he lived a totally godless life. Today, he would be called a playboy, no doubt about it. That was his lifestyle, that kind of free and loose lifestyle. Then one day he tells the story in his book, Confessions. He heard a voice and he said it sounded like a child's voice that just said, take and read, take and read. And he was walking through the garden at that time and a friend of his was sitting on a tree reading his Bible. So he grabbed his friend's Bible and he opened up the Bible. And do you know what he turned to? He'll tell you this in his reading. What we're studying tonight, Romans 13, verses 3 and 4, or 13 and 14. He made the most of the time he had left, becoming one of the greatest Christian leaders that ever lived. And what was the Word of God that changed him from what he was and made him use the last of his days to make uh, the kingdom a better place? Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in orgies of drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, and dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think how to gratify the sinful desires of the human nature. It changed this man from that playboy to St. Augustine. Pretty amazing, huh? Right? Now, that same change can happen for you. Wherever you've been doesn't matter. Because what God wants to do is now. God wants to take whatever time you have left, whatever gifts he has given you, to make it beautiful, to make it a wonderful thing. So the question that we close with is, how do you want to live the rest of your life? I hope you'll join me in saying, I'm going to make the rest of my life the best of my life. And you know God is there to help that make that happen for you, right? Six beautiful things that he's asked you to do. Pay up, build up, wake up, gear up, clean up, and uh, dress up. Sound good? Next week, guess what we're going to do? Next week, we're going to kind of, we, we scratched it a little bit today. But we're going to look at this verse, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. We're going to talk to more about that real hard thing. How do we accept each other and love each other in such a diverse world in which we live? St. Paul is going to give us some really excellent clues on how to do that. Sound good, y'all?
Awesome. Blessings on the rest of your night and happy birthday and grab some snacks because you don't want to take it home, right? Right.